0: Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all sports in the Colorado area, whether professional, collegiate, or preps, or everything in between. Make sure to find your way to MileHighSports.com for all of that content. Like I said, I am TJ McBride. Uh, This is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, so make sure you go listen to all the other podcasts that exist throughout the Blue Wire Podcast network because there are a ton of good ones so definitely go find your way over to the chase down pod the cleveland cavaliers pod lakers film room that pete zayas does it's phenomenal and so many other great podcasts that exist on the blue wire podcast network so tonight we're going to get into the denver nuggets 107 to 106 win over the dallas mavericks which in my opinion was a very very big win for a nuggets team that They've been dysfunctional from time to time they're still kind of trying to find their footing and get into a rhythm to where they can show off the best version of themselves and they have not really been able to do that their road record hasn't been incredible um, but to see them get this win to go three and two on this five game road trip this ten day season long road trip that they are currently on it was encouraging overall I mean think about it this way the nuggets had to play Houston on New Year's Eve Indiana a couple days later then go all the way across again to play to play the Wizards in DC, then to play the Hawks in Atlanta, and then finish in Dallas against the Mavericks, led by MVP candidate Luka Doncic. That is a tougher five-game road trip than the nugget, Than a lot of people give it, give them credit for. The Wizards are going to shoot lights out and they're an offensive juggernaut just as the Hawks are. They're bad teams, but they can make things difficult for you. Indiana is extremely tough, as are the Rockets, as are the Mavericks. So for the Nuggets to get three wins out of those five games and to finish this 10-day this ten road trip that they're on with such a statement win against the Mavericks, it was all very, very encouraging in my mind. So we're going to get into quite a bit about this game itself. We're going to talk about Paul Millsap being out. And Jeremy Grant starting for him. Paul Millsap is still dealing with that left knee contusion. Uh, Will Barton was out in this game for personal reasons. He was at a funeral for a family member back at home in Baltimore. He should be back with the team shortly. Torrey Craig started for him. We'll talk about Nikola Jokic's game, his game winner, the third quarter that he had. We'll talk about Jeremy Grant filling in well for Millsap. Gary Harris' strong defensive job on Luka Doncic once again. Monte Morris leading the def- or the effort from the Nuggets bench unit. Mason Plumlee's strong game. Michael Porter Jr.'s struggles. The Nuggets win profile, which is getting better and better as the days go by. We'll answer some questions from listeners and we'll look ahead to see what is coming for this Nuggets team. There's a ton To talk about, and we're going to get into all of it, but I want to start with the Nuggets win profile because. There's been a lot of talk about how this Nuggets team is underachieving in a in a major way, and I do agree with that. I still think the Nuggets are underachieving this year. Um, that's not to say they haven't been good. They I mean, when you're when you've won what is it, 26 games out of your first 37, that's very very encouraging. But they haven't done it in a way that makes you feel great about where they're headed. Still, though, let's just look at some of these basic numbers that show that the Nuggets' win profile is very very strong. They're 11 and 7 on the road, which is not not spectacular, but they're one of three teams with seven or less losses on the road in the Western Conference. Only the Lakers and the Mavericks have better rec or have less losses on the road than the Nuggets do. They've played less road games in a lot of teams, but still being able to avoid those losses is encouraging still. Um, you can always grab more wins, you can't eliminate the losses. So the Nuggets have done a good job of avoiding those road losses. They're 15 and 6 against the rest of the Western Conference, which is second to just the Lakers, they're 15-4 at, at home, which is, you know, top three, top four level in the NBA right now. They're 5-0 in their division, one of just two teams without a de- a loss in their division in the NBA right now. They're 26-11 on pace for 57 wins, and they're still the second seed in the Western Conference. That's about as encouraging as you can get. Yes, the Nuggets have not played any better than, like, 70% of their potential, but they're still getting lots and lots of wins, and the kind of wins that are most important being able to beat teams you're better than get division wins win at home those are the most important types of wins and the nuggets losing to a hawks team here and there and things like that when you lose an eastern conference game on the road like the nuggets did against the wizards while it sucks and it's frustrating it's the least impactful kind of loss in a negative way so overall that's encouraging the nuggets win profile is what you want it to be and it can only get better from here on out so Overall, very impressive start by this Denver Nuggets team, and there's a lot to look forward to if the Nuggets can start putting some pieces of this puzzle together and get themselves in a better um, stability and a more sustainable style of play, hopefully in the near future. If they can do that, again, they have the potential to be a not only a top five offense, but also a top five defense at the exact same time and get into that elite category of teams. They're not there right now because they haven't been able to put it together for more than a quarter. Quarter and a half at a time, but if they ever do, this team is very, very formidable. We're going to take our only break, actually. I'm going to tell you a quick little bit about Terrapin Care Station, and then we're going to come back and we're going to dive into everything that this Nuggets win over the Mavericks had to offer, as well as answering some questions from listeners and then looking ahead to what the Nuggets have to come for their next six games. So stick around with us after this quick word from Terrapin Care Station. 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flower and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a seamless, retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. dive into the game itself because I thought there was a lot to take away from this one and some things that I found very very revealing. So just to recap, the Nuggets won 107 to 106 thanks to Nikola Jokic's game-winning jumper, well floater, post up, whatever you want to call his flip shot from 6 feet that he always does out of the low post, but it was a very big win for a Nuggets team over the six-seeded Dallas Mavericks, who are only a couple games behind them. I believe they came into this game 23-13 and 13 or somewhere right around there, but... Luka Doncic is an MVP candidate the Mavericks have been winning a lot of games and the Nuggets went into Dallas and they took care of business that has to be the most important part of this win is that the Nuggets just didn't care that they were tired they didn't care that it was late in the road trip they didn't care how good the Mavericks have been playing and how dysfunctional they had been playing they made it happen and they got a big statement win despite the fact that it came down to the wire enabled um, in order to do so Um, in this game like I said before Paul Millsap did not play that left knee contusion has now kept him out of five of the last 14 games in three separate spurts he missed uh I believe it was three games or it was two games then he played a few more then missed another two games then played a few more and then now missed his fifth game uh tonight against the Mavericks there has to be some concern around this because Michael Malone told me I believe it was after the Kings game around the 28th of December or right around that area when I asked him during his pregame media scrum if Paul Millsap's injury was something to be worried about, he re-emphasized that no, it was not something to worry about. They were just being precautionary. Well, now you have to start looking at this injury as something that is lingering, something that you have to kind of pay attention to because it's kept him out of enough games and his numbers have dropped dramatically with it. His defense has not been the same. His three-point shooting fell from like 45.5% before the injury to I believe he's at exactly 30% now. Then when you go back and look at where the Nuggets defense was at before he got hurt, they were the second-best defense in basketball. Since he got hurt, they are the second-worst defense in basketball. That injury has made a massive imprint on the Nuggets team as a whole in a very negative way. And if Paul Millsap was going to continue to be in and out of the lineup and never 100%, 100%, it's just going to be better to sit him down and let him get back to 100%. They need Paul Millsap to be at their best. They need Paul Millsap to be a top five defense. They need Paul Millsap to be able to play a sustained level of successful play because right now without their wise sage veteran leader, they just of kind of been up and down in a whole lot of chaos. Um, so getting him back is going to be priority number one and getting him back healthy. That is extremely important. Um, still, in his place, Jeremy Grant played extremely well. 15 points, five rebounds, two assists, one steal, and three blocks. Arguably, could have been four blocks, as the, as Vic Lombardi said multiple times on the altitude post game report. But overall, very very encouraging game. Um, only took six shots to get 15 points. Was eight of eight from the free throw line. Hit one of his two threes, and the big part was his defense was fantastic. He defended Luka Doncic as well as any and really smothered him on the last possession of the game. He was a big reason the Nuggets were able to hold Luka Doncic to zero points in the fourth quarter. Um... He had three blocks, including the two that he had on the same possession, On both on Luka Doncic. He switched out on the perimeter and contained. He really deterred a lot of shots at the rim. Was able to grab five rebounds, which for a guy who struggled rebounding this year and over his entire career, that was very, very encouraging as well. And then being able to draw fouls for a Nuggets team that has not been able to draw fouls that was so important. Those eight points were literally the difference in this game. If he doesn't get to the line as often as he does, the Nuggets would not have been able to overcome this Dallas Mavericks team on the road. So very, very encouraging game from Jeremy Grant, who overall, in my opinion, did more than you could expect from him in this game. And Michael Malone said it afterwards. This is why they were so excited to trade for him back in Las Vegas during summer league last or this past offseason. This was the Jeremy Grant they envisioned. And having all that length and athleticism and a guy who can hit threes and attack closeouts and defend everywhere on the floor that was what the nuggets had envisioned so very very encouraging game from jeremy grant who just keeps getting better and better for this denver nuggets team uh paul Millsap was not the only starter out in this game will barton missed this game as well for personal reasons and in his place tory craig started uh craig only played 15 minutes he wasn't you know individually very impressive in my opinion but it makes sense to play him the Nuggets were trying to get as much defense in the game to slow Luka Doncic and he did that um, also had an offensive rebound that was helpful in this game had a good cut for a bucket hit a three um, but overall you know he was kind of a negative defensively which is why you saw Wancho play a good amount of minutes which is why you saw Malik Beasley get like 25 minutes in this game um, overall you know, it was a very, you know, meh kind of start from Tory Craig, but he did what you expect him to do, which is all that you can ask from him, so not a whole lot felt like was lost by not having Will Barton in this game, and the Nuggets came out with a win, so overall, that is a victory for the Nuggets. The fact that we've gotten, what, 12 minutes into this podcast already, and I haven't talked enough about, or really at all, about Nikola Jokic is a travesty. So it's time to get into what Nikola Jokic was able to do in this game. Um, first and foremost, Nikola Jokic ha- ended up in this game with, uh, where is it? I don't even remember where, oh there it is, 33 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, 1 steal, and 1 block. He shot 12 of 20 from the field, was 4 of 6 from 3, and only played 31 minutes. Just a freakishly efficient game from Nikola Jokic, and while overall he played well for most of the game, The third quarter was where he took over and dominated. He had 21 points in the third quarter. He accounted between assists and scoring for 26 of the Nuggets' 30 points. He scored 21 points and assisted on a Malik Beasley three-pointer and a Jamal Murray mid-range pull-up jumper. 26 of the Nuggets' 30 points were created by Nikola Jokic in the third quarter. That is just Absolutely absurd overall, and he was just dominant. He also had three rebounds and two assists in that quarter, Um, and he scored from everywhere on the floor. He was able to defend well. He had 11 straight points at one point in the game. and was just... It didn't matter. It didn't matter who was in front of him. He was going through them for the bucket every single time. Then... Jump ahead of the fourth quarter, Nikola Jokic has another five points, which the last two points of those 33 that he finished with were the most important when he hit the game-winning shot with 7.9 seconds left or whatever it is to win the game. What's so crazy about Nikola Jokic is that people for years now, since Nikola Jokic has been in Denver, have been asking, who's their go-to scorer, who can they rely on in the playoffs to go get him a bucket late in the game, as if Nikola Jokic just doesn't exist, and I just can't... I can't wrap my head around this last year Nikola Jokic had three games where he hit game winners which was tied or which was second in the league this year already through 30 whatever games he has another three game winners his six game winners since the start of last season are the most in basketball let's just take this a step further Per 36 minutes in the clutch this year, Jokic is averaging 32 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists per game. I know that seems like a small sample size, but he's played 79 minutes. That's essentially two full games in clutch time this year, and he's putting up those numbers. Here are the raw totals. In 79 minutes in clutch situations, which are defined by games within 5 points or less, with 5 minutes or less remaining, Jokic in those 79 minutes has 70 points on 24 of 42 shooting, on 4 of 8 from 3, on 18 of 21 from the free throw line, to go with 22 rebounds and 15 assists. When you have that on a per 36 minutes basis, which again is a little bit closer to just a full game, Jokic is averaging 32, 10, and 7. He is just... unequivocally one of the most elite closers in the entirety of the National Basketball Association and trying to make any other argument against him is a farce. It's not true. He has already produced as well as or better than anybody in all of basketball as a closer for a Nuggets team that led the league in clutch wins last year and a team that just continually finds ways to win close games at the end of games. It's all about Nikola Jokic and this idea that Nikola Jokic is not able to come through in the clutch or doesn't want to. It's not true. This is something that is completely wrong, and I know I'm getting all kinds of worked up here, but... It's just absolutely incredible what Nikola Jokic is able to do as a closer, and it's looked at as something that's not even true, which is completely beyond my understanding. This is why Nikola Jokic was so good in the playoffs. This is why Nikola Jokic continually thrives in late-game situations and will continue to do so. You cannot defend him one-on-one. If you double him, he will make the right pass, and even if you do double him like it happened tonight for the game-winner, he can go right through you and score anyway. Jokic is one of the best closers in basketball and any kind of argument against that is just simply not true. Um, I have ranted too much let's move on to Gary Harris who did a very very admirable job on Luka Doncic. Yes Luka still had a very good game I'm not going to argue that 27-9-10 and 10 is bad I mean that's just not true but in the fourth quarter Luka Doncic was 0-3 of 3 from the field did not attempt a free throw and had two turnovers against three assists that was almost all Gary Harris with some help from Jeremy Grant sprinkled in the Nuggets swallowed him up when they needed to and Gary Harris once again was able to do a very very good job on Luka Doncic Gary Harris may not be very good offensively this year but defensively he has been dominant he has been so good at so many moments he's had some struggles just like the entire Nuggets team has over the past 10 days to two weeks or whatever it is but It's very, very clear that he is still an elite defender when he is fully locked in, and when the rest of the team behind him is playing strong defense, the Nuggets immediately jump back up into that top 10, top 5 category. Right now, the rest of the team is not playing well, they're playing opportunistic defense, but Gary Harris is still coming through and the Nuggets need it most. Uh, something in a, a little bit of a role reversal in this game. Every single member of the Nuggets reserves was a positive and every member of the starting unit was a negative tonight, which is very surprising. Almost all year, it's been the exact opposite. But a big reason for this was that Monte Morris was great. In his first stint, he had six points and three assists, was just driving relentlessly and having these great finishes at the rim and just being so assertive. Michael Malone has said oh, time and time again, that the Nuggets are that the Nuggets bench is at their best when Monte Morris is aggressive and tonight he was aggressive he was attacking he was not settling for jumpers he was getting to the rim and it set the tone for the rest of the bench unit there became a very clear hierarchy for how things work and it was everybody fits in around the Monte Morris Mason Plumley two man game it wasn't your turn my turn isolating between Jeremy Grant Michael Porter Jr. Mason Plumley, and Monte Morris anymore it was a much more congruent cohesive unit and that all started with Monte Morris I thought he was extremely good in this game and then take it a step further Mason Plumley once again had a very very good game yes he's had quite a few head-scratching moments this season that make you just scream out why repeatedly but he's been strong had to have 10 points five rebounds and four assists in 17 minutes is a huge game and I thought it was very very encouraging to see Monte Morris and Mason Plumley to They continually get closer and closer to the tandem that they were last year. I think the Nuggets bench unit is very close to getting back to being a very strong unit consistently. Um, I'm not willing to say they're back in any way, shape, or form, but you're starting to see the signs of life that you want to see, and I'm encouraged by what I have seen. So we'll have to just wait and see, but right now, they're on the right path. The last thing I'm going to say about this game is this was probably one of the worst Michael Porter Jr. games we have seen in a while. The first half that he played, he had like two turnovers, missed both of his shots, a couple just not knowing where to be moments, a defensive blown coverage when he failed to switch despite the fact that Gary Harris called it out, Um, but despite that. Michael Malone stuck with him in the second half. He put him back out there. So I'll talk about Michael Porter Jr. when I get to the questions here in a little bit. But I was encouraged by Michael Porter Jr.'s, uh, by Michael Malone, letting Michael Porter Jr. play through his mistakes of the first half. That's what, that's all that anybody can ask for right now. And Michael Malone did that. And it's a, And it showed trust in his young player that he will still get minutes even if he makes mistakes. He's not, he's not going to be looking over his shoulder every four seconds against every mistake he makes to see if Malone is going to pull him, which is nothing but encouraging. Let's move on to the mailbag portion of this podcast, because this is my favorite portion of the podcast, and I picked, let me see here, I picked six questions this time to get into them. Uh, Two of them were about Michael Porter Jr., so let's hit those two first, considering I I just talked about him. The first one came from Om Prakash. I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. Um, he asked, how should the Nuggets manage Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes going forward? This question directly relates to the next question from rymac 2020 All-Star on Twitter, which was, thoughts on Michael Malone actually sticking with MPJ and letting him play in the second half. I thought he wouldn't have let him back in after the first. I thought this game was perfect. I again I've said this a few times, but specifically this game, I just felt like it was the perfect way to go about Michael Porter Jr's minutes. He gave him his normal run in the first half between the 4 and the f- you know, between the 4 and the 6 minute mark. Whenever a stoppage in play comes around, he gave Michael Porter Jr his regular stint. And Porter for you know all of the issues that he had was not yanked really really early on which was again a good sign then the most encouraging part was that he did go back to him in the second half and i did not think he was going to and maybe it had a lot more to do with the injuries the nuggets had with will barton being out for personal reasons and paul Millsap being out with that left knee contusion but to me it seemed like Michael Malone was going to play him regardless. He was going to give him that stretch in the second half to show that he has faith in him. And he ended up playing 14 and a half minutes. Yes, he was one of three from the field for only two points, which came off a dunk. But he grabbed three rebounds. He had a steal. He was able to impact the game positively. He was a plus two in his 15 minutes. So, I thought this was perfect. I think this is how it's going to go for the rest of the year until Porter continues to show that he's earned even more minutes. But if Malone shows this faith in michael porter jr like he did tonight in a close game on the road against a very good opponent that's about as encouraging as it gets and i was very very happy to see malone do it in that way uh mitchy 5280 on twitter asks who has the most perceived value from our tradable players this is a loaded question because it's hard to know exactly who the Nuggets view is tradable. I'm just going to include anybody not named Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, or Michael Porter Jr. That means Gary Harris, Will Barton, Mason Plumley, and then all of the wings below them, which is Wancha Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, and Torrey Craig, are the tradable pieces on this Nuggets team. I think the player with the most value of all of those guys is Will Barton. I also think... I think he's the least likely to be traded of any of those guys. Will Barton is so important to what the Nuggets do, but he is a guy that I'm sure quite a few teams who are looking for that last wing player to put them over the edge are going to be calling about Will Barton. It would be a mistake, in my opinion, to trade him, but in terms of most value right now, I think it's gotta be Will Barton with Gary Harris coming up slightly behind him in second. So... It's going to be interesting to see what happens this trade deadline because the players the Nuggets don't want to trade are going to be the players that most teams call about between Michael Porter Jr. and Will Barton, but it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that because they don't want to move on from any of those guys. Uh, Cameron A. Friend on Twitter asked, is it me or is the likelihood of Gary being traded increasing? I don't know if it's increasing or decreasing. I don't think there's any way to put it on a spectrum like that. All I would say is that if the Nuggets are going to trade for a big upgrade, um, whether it's a starter or a bench player that's going to be a big upgrade at the trade deadline, you almost have to include Gary Harris in a deal. You're not getting Drew Holiday without sending Gary Harris. You're not going to get D'Angelo Russell without sending Gary Harris, you're not going to get uh Robert Covington without sending Gary Harris. Any kind of, you know, Andre Iguodala even in that same vein. You're not going to be able to find a needle moving type player in my opinion without sending Gary Harris. Sure, you can go get a shooter like Davis Bird, totally talking about it in a little bit. Or a guy like Justin Holliday uh, without sending Gary Harris. But does that really move the needle? I'm not so sure. Uh, Well, Davis Berton is one thing. But beyond him, I don't don't think there's a lot of players the Nuggets can target to make a big change without sending out Gary Harris. So I think he's probably the most likely of being traded. But I don't think it's increased or decreased because of its play. It's just kind of how the situation has unfolded. Uh, Jets and Nuggets fan on Twitter asks, Is this the start of consistent playing time? for Malik Beasley. I do not think so. I think Malik Beasley got minutes tonight because Will Barton was out. I think he got minutes tonight because Michael Porter Jr. did not play very well and because the Nuggets just kind of needed a shooting boost off the bench. So they played Malik Beasley. I don't think this is going to be a consistent thing though. I don't have a rhyme or reason to believe that, but it just seems like like Malik Beasley is the one on the outside looking in at the rotation right now. It just kind of is a reality. We'll have to just wait and see, but it looks like his <laughs> it honestly looks like one foot is out the door for Malik Beasley. Um, last question. Nolan's Minecraft account asks thoughts on Davis Burton's in the mile high? One, I don't know why the hell Washington would trade him, because they need to continue to keep young players who are talented, but let's just live in a world in which they would think about moving Davis Bertons. I would be very surprised if they would move them for anything less than a young player and a first-round pick. I'm not sure if they're going to get that, but why would you move him if you're not going to get that? You want to pick in this draft to continue rebuilding and a young player who could potentially pan out. Malik Beasley and... A future first round pick maybe works. I'm not sure. I like the idea of Davis Berton's in the Mile High City. Having him play, you know, backup small forward minutes with this Nuggets team is something that is actually very enticing, but I just don't see a way, a reason for Washington to trade him unless the Nuggets just go all in and send too much to get him. So, I find the I find building a deal to be very unlikely, but I like the idea of Burtons in Denver. All right. Before we close out this podcast, let's, let's look ahead at what the Nuggets have coming up for their next six games. It's a bizarre stretch of schedule for this Denver Nuggets team. So what they're going to have is they're going to have two days off, the 9th and the 10th. Then they're going to play at home against Cleveland on the first night of a back-to-back before taking on the Clippers on the, uh, on the next night, for the second night of a back-to-back. They then get two nights off. Again, before going or before staying at home against the Hornets and then playing against Golden State in the Chase Center for the second night of a back to back in Oakland. So that's back to back, two nights off, back to back, two nights off, and then another back to back at home against Indiana and at Minnesota. That's six games in 10 days, two days in between three sets of back-to-backs. What a bizarre schedule. Um, When I look at it, I think the Nuggets beat the Cavaliers. If they don't beat the Cavaliers; it's going to be a disaster, and then lose to the Clippers. I think they beat the Hornets and then beat the Warriors, and then I think they uh, beat or lose to the Pacers and beat Minnesota. So you're talking about the Nuggets going four and two in those six games. In my opinion, would be a win. Um, maybe they have a chance to grab five wins out of that stretch, but I would be very, very surprised. Um, worst case scenario, you got to go three and three out of those six games my opinion, but it's going to be tough. Nuggets are coming off of a long road trip and they're already tired as is. Playing six games in 10 days is not going to help them. So thank you guys for everything. Thank you to Terrapin Carrier Station and the Regulators Production Group for helping make this podcast what it is. Thank you to everybody who has left a review, left a five-star rating, shared this podcast on social media, all of those things. It really, really helps me when you guys share it. So please keep doing that. But until next time, this has been the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from Mile High Sports, signing off. We will talk to you guys in a couple days.